The following is a Secure Foundation broadcast. If you do not have the proper security clearance to listen to this broadcast, please turn off your listening device now and turn yourself in to the police. Our personnel will take it from there. Commencing playback of deadly auditory cognito hazard in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Secure Contain Podcast, the show that explains and discusses every aspect of the SCP Foundation, one topic at a time. I am your not co-host, but currently host, Dave. Um, Soren's uh, not sick again. I wrote that he's sick in the notes, uh, but he's not. He's just in the shower and can't wake his dad up. I think he's gotten sick so many times that I just assumed that he was and wrote that in the notes. So that works. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been two weeks I guess since the last episode, and we didn't want to miss another one, and I have work tomorrow and Tuesday, and he needs time to edit it, so we can't really record with that, but we also don't want to completely not miss out again, because I feel like we say sorry all the time for having to do solo episodes and missing episodes, and say we'll fix it, and then we never fix it, <laughs> and the cycle just kind of repeats and i want to be honest the, the the rest of this month might continue to be a little bit shaky uh just because of school ending and everything um but outside of that hopefully hopefully we should be good we should get back to regular uploads every week um we should be able to figure it out it's really not that hard we just don't plan very well and i'm sorry about that um but yeah uh I don't, I'm not really sure what he's naming this, uh, this episode. Um, I called it Dave's Faves just cause I, I thought that it kind of worked. Um, he told me I should, uh, I should go, I can go ahead and, um, find a couple that I thought was cool. I, just so you know, I gathered this up in about 15 minutes, so I don't know, uh, how <laughs> well this is going to go. Um, but I sort of searched throughout the GOI hub, uh, and found a couple that I, I seen I thought we looked pretty cool. Um so yeah, so we'll see how this goes. Um we're already about three minutes in, but you know. Um yeah, so here are some cool ones that I, I, I saw on the GOI hub. The first one that I came across um was called the Chicago Spirit. Um now going to the hub for that, um it's just Chicago dash spirit. Um it's it's on the page it says GOI one which could be a reference to SCP-001, obviously. Um, and it, it kind of looks like a, a crime syndicate-type unit, almost. Um, at the top, um, there's a picture of a guy. Uh, it says uh, CA... Um, oh, I think it's Circa, but I'm not, I don't remember. It's CA-1938, and it's just a white dude in, like, a suit. Uh, it says, When folks ask where I studied, I just laugh at them. I don't believe in formal education. I never spent a day in the classroom, yet I'm one of the most successful men in this city. Boys and men who could be spending their time productively are instead forced to waste a year of their lives stooped over books, trying to snatch some trace of intellect for themselves. What the schoolmasters don't tell you is that genius is something you're born with. I may not know calculus, but I run the largest business of its type in the country. I may not be able to name every tribe in Africa, but I can turn a man inside out with a snap of my fingers. I can't give you a scientific explanation for how we perform the miracles we do, but then again, nobody else can either. In my business, mainly Ivy League boys are equal in everything. Everything, that is, except power. That's something I've I plenty of. 
It was Richard D. Chapel, Correspondence, 1925. So if we go to the overview, uh, um, it's also known as the Spirit. Years active um, was 1895 and then 1990. Uh, footnote says unconfirmed to present. The known leadership was Richard Davis uh, Chappell, 1871 to 1953, which is the guy we just heard from. Charles Ferris Derringer, uh, widely thought to be a pseudonym, uh, from 1878 to 1950. Hogarth Mince Cartwright from 1869 to 1929. And Julius Raleigh McGowan from 1865 to 1939. And said, footnote says, the exact and circumstances of McGowan's death are still disputed. So if you go to the summary, uh, it says the Chicago Spirit was an organized crime syndicate based in Chicago, Illinois. So Chicago, obviously. Um, the group operated locally during the first two decades of its existence, but later spread to other major cities in the United States as a result of the wealth generated by its bootlegging operations during America's Prohibition era. The Spirit employed numerous individuals with anomalous capabilities, created and exploited a number of anomalous artifacts for use in its business, uh, and was owned by one Richard D. Uh, Ch Chappell, a Type C reality bender, SCP uh, 046 uh, arc. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's really just a crime syndicate, but obviously they have some stuff to do um, with SCPs and spooky, spooky biz. Uh, so if you go to the history, it says in 1873, Chappell immigrated to Chicago with his parents at the age of two. The first record of his anomalous capabilities was an incident in which a passerby witnessed Chappell, then 11 years old. Anomalously ex, uh, oh my god, um, exsanguinating a rival newspaper boy. And I'm going to look up the definition of that because I don't actually know. Um, drain of blood. Okay, uh, so he doesn't, <laughs> that's not good. Um. The boy's body was recovered from the Chicago River the following day, but the local pol police did not pursue the case. Jabell, who would in later years claim that the boy's death had been an accident. And on the right, um, there's a picture of like a bar, and it says the Cistern Chapel, the first speakeasy operated by the Spirit. In its original incarnation, the Chicago Spirit was a legitimate business. Founded in 1893 and located on Chicago's south side, the Spirit operated as a typical bar. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Providing patrons with alcoholic beverages and occasionally offering live musical entertainment. After two years of making little revenue, Chappelle had the idea to start a second line of business on the Chicago Spirit's second floor, a secretive trade of unnatural novelties. During the subsequent years, Chappelle sold over 600 anomalous artifacts to buyers in Chicago and outlying areas. Many of these objects are believed to have been created by, Ch by Chappelle himself. So it's almost kind of like like Marshall, Carter, and Dark, right? They they obviously sell different um, anomalies and uh, as well as technically as well as Doctor Who Entertainment. Um, but uh, these kind of this kind of seems like the black market almost of sort of the the SCP market, I guess. Um, this new venture quickly attracted a number of wealthy collectors and prestigious members of Chicago's elite, which in turn had the added benefit of greatly bolstering the popularity of the establishment downstairs. Still, Chappelle remained largely secretive about, of an, about his anomalies, adamantly refusing to acknowledge the anomalous side of his business in public, and never utilizing his reality-bending capabilities in the company of others. As the spirit prospered and grew, Chappelle expanded his practice to include criminal activities, such as extortion, planned robberies, and attacks on rivaling business owners. By 1899, approximately 410 men were working under Chappelle. It was around this time that locals began to refer to Chappelle's organization as the Chicago Spirit, taken from the name of the bar that served as the group's headquarters. Most of the Spirit's membership was comprised of common thugs and petty thieves, but the group's leadership uh, mainly consisted of men who possessed abilities similar to those of Chappelle himself. 
According to local tradition, Chappelle routinely walked through the streets of Chicago, striking up conversations with people he encountered and employing those who he found to have pre, uh, preternatural skills. Among these individuals were uh, Charles Derringer, SCP-032-ARC, Garth Wheels Cartwright, SCP-039-ARC, and Julius Sawteeth McGowan, uncontained, presumed, neutralized, uh, and all of those, I believe, were the other um, leaders. Or, yeah. Um, and then on the right, it looks like a room? Um, it looks like a bedroom. It says, Opium Den owned and uh, operated by spirit members. By 1900, Chappelle had firmly established himself in Chicago's criminal underworld as a charismatic and ruthless leader. As the spirit increased in size and scope, more anomalous objects were used in routine operations. Very few of these anomalies were contained during the group's active years due to the Foundation's limited resources during this period. For the most part, the Chicago spirit acted independently from other criminal organizations, although the groups were known to occasionally interact with varying degrees of hostility. A notable exception was the famed Chicago outfit leader Al Capone. He strictly forbade any form of interaction with the spirit, stating that he wouldn't have anything to do with those men. This stance was presumably influenced by, the, by previous outfit leader Johnny Torrio's disastrous attempted raid on the Chicago spirit's original building in 1919, which Capone witnessed. The group continued to strengthen and grow throughout the 1920s, aided by the extra revenue generated by the Spirit's expanding number of speakeasies and similar establishments made possible and profitable by the ban of alcoholic beverages under the Volstead Act. Records indicate that from 1921 to 1933, the Chicago Spirit was the largest anomalous crime syndicate in the Western Hemisphere. Despite the Chicago Spirit's seemingly immense power and prosperity, the Foundation's O-Fine Command approved a raid on Chappelle's home, citing intelligence reports that claimed his anomalous capabilities had weakened. The raid proved successful. Chappelle was captured and placed into containment along with 155 SCP objects pulled from his personal collection. After the capture of their leader, the Spirit's members soon disbanded and were recruited by other syndicates. The few who remained faithful to the Spirit and the resources they possessed were eventually acquired by Marshall Carter in Dark in 1938. Okay, yeah, so there is there is that sort of um, there is that sort of uh, connection between the two. And on the right, uh, it says the Black Vault, where Chappelle stored his private collection, and it's just like a, a safe. And then at the bottom, there's an addendum. A collection of private journals allegedly wrote by Chappelle were recovered by Foundation personnel in 2008. Notably, the uh, entries frequently mention a partner by the name of Mr. Knight, whose departure from the organization in 1933 resulted in the vulnerability that made Chappelle's capture possible. Despite the constant references to this individual, no other existing records indicate that Chappelle had a close business partner, nor are there any documents that support the existence of a, of a Mr. Knight within the group. However, the journal entries are consistent with statements made by Chappelle during post-containment interviews, in which he repeatedly expressed that he did not possess any anomalous properties, and that anomalous work was carried out by a partner of his who abruptly quit the organization, changed his name, and fled the country. Yeah, um, so again, sort of a, a underground SCP anomalous black market um, taking place in uh, Chicago. Although, um, if we go to the next tab, which is Resurgence, uh, it says the Chicago Spectre. Um, there are three at the top, um, known members said the inside man of 2017 to today, all, all these are 2017 to today, uh, inside man is thought to be the de facto leader of the group, reportedly possesses psionic capabilities, the rookie, which was thought to be an enforcer for the group, prime suspect in the murder of Far, Farhan Jahanian and the robbery of Bank of Yurdik, anomalous capabilities unknown, and a Murakami kill switch, uh, thought to be a getaway driver for the group, anomalous capabilities unknown. For the summary for that, uh, it says, a, relative, a relatively young paracrime organization, the Chicago Spectre, has come into frequent conflict with the Global Occult Coalition, um, primarily through its continued operations in Yurtik, uh, a pocket universe 
operated by a GOC member organization, touted primarily as a more legitimate anomalous community in contrast to Three Portlands and elsewhere. The Chicago Spectre has three known members, all of whom were suspected to be anomalous in some way, but its organizational structure and operational capacity remain unknown. Um, history from 1938 onwards, the Chicago Spirit ceased to exist. Instead, small groups and individuals continued to operate at a low level throughout the rest of the 20th century. Uh, continue to operate is a, um, a link, and it takes you to a page called Zeitgeist, which looks like a tale, um, which I'm assuming talks is sort of like a backstory behind that. Um, for decades, it had been rumored that Richard Chappelle had hidden away a fortune worth billions of dollars, which would have only been access accessible to individuals or group, uh, which best embodied the Chicago spirit. Until the end of the 20th century, however, nobody had the resources to do so. The true new age of the spirit began with the collapse of Prometheus Labs in 1998, when a vast amount of paratech flooded into the black market. Street-level paracrime reached an all-time high as both individuals and corporations began to engage in paracriminal activity and seek out Chappelle's fortune. Many of these organizations named themselves after the Chicago Spirit. From Japan, where the Yakuza have created the Chicago Sake, and have been to reclaim their power, to Ireland, where the Chicago Guinness traffic and substances both human and fairy-made. One of the more notable organizations of this ilk is the Chicago Spectre. Despite being composed of only three people, the audacity and scale of their heists has, have begun to garner attention from across the globe. Although the Spectre have no known interactions with the Foundation, they have come into conflict with several external groups of interest, such as the Servants of the Silicon Norner and Alexi Alexiva University. Uh, the group had additionally come into conflict with one other with other members of the paracrime community. The rookie is suspected of having murdered one Farhine Jahanian, a former distributor of illegal biomedical augmentations and enhanced with, with Yurtik, uh, and that also takes you to the Zeitgeist hub. That is, I guess, tale. Um, and then finally, the group's motives remain unknown, as do their operational capacity and the scale of their operations. GOC records indicate that demonics play a heavy role in the group's operations. It's suspected that the group may be augmenting themselves somehow to carry out their operations. Um, okay, yeah, so I guess they're they're sort of like a, a mini... A, I don't, I don't know if I would say like a mini, mini version of them, but it's just like sort of a continuance of... Um, of them into the the new age <laughs> or something like that um so uh i have two documents from that uh first is the uh hair 023 which is the cheshire cat which i only clicked on because it said the cheshire cat and i recognize what that was um so uh for this uh there are a couple different pages on here um at the top there is looks like a letter uh it's stamped from the uh it's from the Unusual Incidents Unit. Um, it says, Agent Kristoff, you have been assigned the task of gathering valuable intelligence in the operations of the Chicago Spirit to relay back to headquarters. Your temporary lodgings will be located at the Palmer House, room 114. You will find a package containing our current list of locations, events, and persons of interest regarding this investigation, as well as instructions for contacting us. Godspeed. Vigils and Noctum, July 27, 1910. Then next is a newspaper headline. It says the Chicago Tribune, Friday, December 6, 1910. It says, Death on the Docks. Local gang assassinates federal agent in broad daylight. Um, and then there's something kind of faint. I can't really read it very well. It says, Fear strikes the Windy City as local gangs attack one of our nation's finest in the boldest display of violence to date. Uh, next looks like a letter. Um, it says, Chappelle, uh, which obviously the, is the leader of... Um, 
of the Chicago uh, spirit. It says, Chappelle, we lost the newest shipment of moonshine from Indianapolis. We were at the docks taking the goods out of the boat when one of the boys started spluttering and turning purple. I figured he probably swallowed a sink and was about to check on him when his skull folded inward. He had barely hit the floor when some fucker dragged himself over the edge of the boat. I pulled my piece and told him to get his ass up and come with me. I don't know what the fuck he did, but the next thing I knew, I was flat on my ass and he was pointing the colt at me. We looked at each other for a good long minute, and he dropped the gun and bolted, the whole time muttering something about getting his fucking hat back. It was Kristoff, the fucking spook you shot. He had that crazy look in his eyes, but I'd recognize that face anywhere. I have no idea how he's alive, but this shit can't be good. I was from Skipka, from uh, February 10th, 1911. And then finally, uh, Hare, O23, the Cheshire Cat, and the Hare is, has a footnote. It says, uh, Rouse a definition, Hare, a term used by the Chicago spirit to refer to anomalous individuals of interest. Uh, there's a picture with like the face kind of pixelated out. So it's an old picture of him we acquired. They all seem to do this now. So the who is Joseph Kristoff, a big shot agent the spook sent to tail the boss. The feds backed off real quick after Chappelle put a bullet in his brain. We thought that would be the end of it, but it seems the cat doesn't know how to stay dead. What is, as far as we can tell, the cat is a jabberwock, uh, which is a term used by the Chicago spirit to refer to anomalous individuals capable of inter- intentionally warping reality, referring to author Lewis Carroll in his poem Jabberwocky, equivalent to Reality Bender, just like Chappelle. We've seen him walk through walls, put an entire building to sleep, collapse a man's skull, and go from New York to Chicago in a day, and that's just the magic shit. He was dangerous before he died, and he's even more dangerous now. There's something about that bastard that makes it damn near impossible to remember him. Skipoka was going on and on about he recognized Kristoff immediately, but an hour later, and he couldn't even tell you whether he looked at a broad or a fella. Good thing someone had the sense to write this bit down before that, but it keeps, but it makes keeping tag, tabs on him a real pain in the ass. When? We figured that the spooks had someone tailing us for a while. We didn't figure they were going to send THE Joseph Kristoff. He was a man who crippled the, uh, a realtor family in New York, earned himself a target on his back and a king's bounty on his head for it. A little bird told us he was staying at the Palmer house last April. We set up an ambush in his hotel room, half a dozen of our boys and the boss himself lying in wait for him. By the time he woke up, he was staring down the barrel of a loaded Thompson. Chappelle made an example out of him before dumping his body in the river. We watched him die. We watched Chappelle's pet fish shred the body to pieces. We watched his effects burn. Well, none of us understand why we're still seeing him walking around like nothing happened. Where? Uh, he's got to have some place he's operating out of. But, so far, we haven't found it. We searched his hotel room, but all we found was a slip of paper with the address of the Sharpers, uh, a term used by the Chicago Spirit to refer to Marshall, Carter, and Dark, stronghold downtown, tacked on the wall. Jabelle doesn't think he's in league with the Sharpers, because they don't write like the spooks, but you never know. Some of our inside men may have been eavesdropping around the other groups to see if they got anything on the cat. From uh, And then there are some uh, testaments from uh, a couple of... Uh, the inside man, which was from Siskel, Gretzky, Vieira, and Caleb. I'm not going to read them just because of time and everything, but they are just, I guess, some some things about them. The why is, we don't know. It doesn't seem like he remembers anything from before he crawled out of the boat, out of that boat. He still hates our guts, though, but that could be because we tried to kill him as soon as we called aboard. He also seems to have a connection to the Sharpers. We had only recently found out the location of the Sharpers' place, and that was with weeks of supervalence. Supervalence of surveillance. <laughs> There's no way he found it through conventional means. And then finally, how? 70 grand. 70 grand is enough to move to Hawaii and never lift a finger in your life ever again. And all you have to do that to get 70 grand? Put a bullet between the cat eyes. Chabella doesn't care how you do it, as long as he doesn't come back. What would it look like to the citizens under our care if the people we got rid of for them started coming back? It's not good for our business, and we take care of, and we take care of business. Nobody gets in the way of that. 
Uh, and nobody is actually a link to the nobody hub, which is another one that I'm doing. However, I can actually transition to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to read, um, one more. I was going to read a skip. Um, it was a joke SCP. It was SCP-2600. Um, so if you want to read that, if I have time at the end, I can go back and read that. Um, but since they mentioned the nobody hub, uh, and I, um... I was going to read that next anyways, I'm going to go ahead and just go into that, because it's a great segue, and you know, why not? Um, so the Nobody Hub, uh, before we get into it, I do want to mention um, that uh, Soren and I read a tale about Nobody um, a while back, I think, um, I believe it was in the Are We Cool Yet unit? uh, for the art museums and everything, I, I'm pretty sure it was, but I don't, I don't remember specifically, but it was a tale called Nobody Dies, um, obviously it had to do with the guy named Nobody, and he dies, because, you know, the, the title kind of gives it away, but I'm not really spoiling anything for that, um, but yeah, this is the Nobody Hub, and so I, I saw that, and I figured uh, I could probably read it, because I, I don't really know much about it, uh, but I, I think it'd be cool to know a little bit more, so yeah, so on the Nobody Hub, the overview, uh, first thing says the foreword. The following document was recovered by Agent Redacted on Redacted Redacted 1954. Redacted claims he was given the note by another agent whom he did not recognize. Full account of this incident can be found on document GOI-006-001. Nobody, first appearance, which I believe is a tale, but I'm not I'm not reading it. Um The text details information on the supposed group or individual entity referred to as nobody. The information is vague and inconclusive. Known information includes no two individuals operating under the alias Nobody have been seen active at the same time. Frequently, though not always, Nobody appears to be an elderly male uh, human of European descent dressed in a gray or black suit. Nobody often provides unwarranted assistance to the Foundation. In other cases, Nobody will attempt to undermine the Foundation. And finally, Nobody is generally nonviolent and non-hostile towards Foundation personnel. Agents are required to immediately report any individual matching this description or self-identifying as nobody. Caution is recommended when dealing with this entity. Command will decide appropriate reaction to nobody on a case-by-case basis. So, here's the original text as follows. Dear sirs and madams of the Foundation, I hope, this I hope that this letter finds you well. You do not know who I am yet. However, I fear that our paths will cross many times in the future. I am sending you this letter with the wish that our relationship will not be entirely hostile. Of course, I know that your organization can never officially adopt a policy other than open conflict with me, simply due to my very nature. For this reason, I hope to address not the Foundation as an organization, but as a group of individuals. On these inevitable days that we meet in the field, I hope that you will remain amicable to me. It is for the safety of you and yours that I ask this. In order to demonstrate my goodwill, I will endeavor to reveal some truths about myself. In this career, as you surely understand by now, Secrets are a form of strength, and I hope that this depilitation will be a gateway towards copacetic relations. Surely, the first question you must, you must have is the question of who I am. Unfortunately, this is a difficult answer for anyone to give, perhaps more difficult for me to, than most. All I can say is that you will recognize me. The next question, as to my objectives, is equally difficult to respond to. Often you will find that our goals will overlap, and I will attempt to assist you, and other times we will surely be in conflict. I hope that you will not cause these conflicts to escalate beyond what is necessary. And now, the final question, and perhaps the most important and enlightening one. My motivations, or why I'm doing this. I read that weird. <laughs> Sorry. 
And now, the final question, and perhaps the most important and enlightening one. My motivations are why I am doing this. Here at last is an answer that I can give without imp imprecision. I am not whole in the way that others are. I am not significant in the way that others are. I am unable to affect the world in the way others are. In the most literal sense, I am a person without importance or influence, a nobody. All my efforts are an attempt to resist my very nature and undermine these truths about myself. Like all sentient beings, I desire my existence to have meaning. I would also like to inform you that I currently act alone. However, it has come to my attention that there may be others that share my unique qualities. In the future, I hope to work alongside them, although it is equally likely that I will always be merely an individual. At this moment, I am certain that you are beginning to question the veracity of this letter and the information that it provides. This could be a trick or a falsity orchestrated by one of your many enemies. Unfortunately, I cannot offer any evidence other than my word. You ought to concede on faith that I exist and that this information is accurate. However, I do hope that you will take my message to heart. Fate may have set us at odds, but that does not mean that we have to accept it. With all due respect, a nobody. Um, yeah. And so I remember, uh, as well as, like, on the information, um, in the information tab, I'm not reading that, uh, but in the beginning, part one, it asks who is nobody, and it, it, the whole kind of shtick for him is that he's mysterious, no one really knows what his true intentions are, no one really ever knows an incredible amount about him. He's a nobody. He, as he mentioned himself, uh, he's kind of just insignificant in general. Um, I found uh, one, um, one, uh, I guess, other text or, or document relating to him. Uh, one is called Nobody's Business, and another one is called A Part of Nobody. It's a little bit small, so it's kind of hard to read, but I can try and zoom in. A little bit to read um so these are on like pieces of note paper um first one says a quieter new notebook old one was full and i never liked it much anyway this one is much bit better honestly bigger too anyway i'm at a parking lot going to have breakfast maybe i'll order pancakes again i got time before a new job got to do retrieval nope see when transport up to 2 p.m be at vantage point and goc ambush at 2 15 slip by acquire target at vantage point, five minutes, five minutes to go. CGOC strike team. The new camouflage tech isn't as great as skill against skilled eyes. Note, remember that detail. Got uniform from lefty that affect perception to see it as GOC or CI for an observer. We'll supply both sides. Handy, pun not intended. Acquired the target. There is difficulty due to thaumaturgic enhanced weapons, but prevailed. Target is a black box with a seven-digit combo. Cracked in four seconds. Inside it is a an item from Doctor One Entertainment called Insta Icy Cones that came in. That came in four. Uh, packaging is made in shape of a freezer, really cold to the touch. Meeting client behind of a Toys R Us, as stated by them. Odd, but they they. Let me take a drink of water real quick. Sorry for the ASMR. We did actually do that. If you missed that episode, that happened. And I'm still very sorry about it, but, you know. Uh, and the last note is, Client was found spray-painting insults on the wall directed at Toys R Us. Client was happy with my arrival and attempted to hug me. Notice the client grew a yellow tail. Client expressed satisfaction and stated his affection for Dr. Wonder Entertainment, Dr. Wonder Entertainment products. He explained he attempted to purchase the retrieved items, a discontinued product, originally by Marshall Carter and Dark Limited, though it was banned. Looking into the situation, he found he would grow frustrated and challengingly threaten patrons, according to records. Last draw was when he threw two pretzels out at the auctioneer after losing bid to a C1 operative. Client with a piece, client with a piece of chalk drew a door and opened it. 
other side was a swirling vortex of colors, which he jumped through. The drawn door then disappeared in a cloud of smoke. Money, 10k, was also found to be faked. Memetic agent was cast on them to disguise the fact they were actually just Monopoly bills. And to do, look further into client, check Wonder City, or was it World? Records for possible, possible residents. Return uniform to Lefty. Get new memetic inoculations. Keep better record on when they expire. And maybe ask waitresses out from dinner earlier, if nothing else. Um, so I guess that's one thing that he does. He is, I don't want to say a hitman necessarily. Not really a bounty hunter either, but I guess he's just like a... I forget the word for it. Because again, mercenary is like not what I'm looking for. <laughs> but he's sort of just kind of a guy for hire to have you do stuff for him. Uh, the next one that I found um, is called Note a Part of Nobody. Um, uh, first one, it says, A Part of Nobody, aliases, none so far. Summary, discover that my biomatter returns my anomalous properties after separation. I can pass my properties to others. Possible this material can transform effect to other beings. Temperature. If so, affected persons would be unable to affect the world around them. The threat, uh, my... Minimum threat or minor threat, high chance of failure, possible scenarios, transfer, person is temperature, uh, nobody, best case, uh, transfer, transfer properties having no effects, no change, person can affect the world around them as normal, no transfer, no effect, no transfer, however, object causes placebo effect in person, loophole, maybe placebo effect would originate from person, not me, they choose to act different, changing their behavior and improving the chances of success, acceptable case scenario, interest, Exploiting this could finally be a way in which it could directly cause change in the world. Unfortunately, no way to prove con conclusively due to the nature of fate. Does cause have an effect, or was an effect inevitable regardless of cause? Still, even the smallest possibility of ignoring my restrictions is whether any is worthy is worthy any threat caused. Need to deploy this in field for testing. <clears throat> Should investigate way to directly prove results, and only that can compare possible futures. Note: Check foundation progress on project two thousand three. I'm gonna look up again real quick. Um, nobody dies, um, because I I don't remember necessarily like what happened specifically, um, but I know it obviously has. It's fairly important for nobody considering that he dies <laughs> in this. Um, I would if I were you. I'm not, I don't have enough time to go back and read it myself. Um, at least on on the show. Uh, but I, if I were you, I would, I would recommend if you have the time to go out and listen to it as well. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, the gist is like nobody goes to visit one of the dudes from the, uh, the, um, are we cool yet people at his museum and he shows them a bunch of stuff and nobody sits down on this one, this one chair. And he basically like has, if he wants to get up, he has to, like, kill the world, or he has to kill himself, um, and then someone else kills him, uh, and then he gets sad. The, um, the Are We Cool Yet guy, he gets sad because he took his kill, um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, stuff happens, so I would go back and read the full thing again, but... Uh, it's kind of interesting, again, nobody's very mysterious. Obviously, nobody's his name, so of course he's going to be a mysterious character. Um, I saw a couple um, different skips and tales and stuff that were linked to other groups of interest and other uh, 
skips and things and so it seems like he pops up fairly often so he's he sort of seems kind of like behind the scenes and everything like, like i said earlier sort of a behind the scenes guy for hire do whatever you want um real quick uh not much of a transition into this but i'm gonna go ahead and do the mid-roll real quick um <clears throat> i had burp first and now that i did we can continue um you guys know the deal you hear it almost every episode or every episode Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you for continuing to share the show and be active on our Twitter and our Discord. We have a Twitter. It's uh, at uh, SE Podcast Show or twitter.com forward slash SE Podcast Show. And our Discord that I also mentioned is linked in uh, our Twitter bio. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Um, a $1 uh, tier is a shout out. Uh, currently, the shout outs we have is for Peyton, so thank you for pledging monthly for that. Um, and a five dollar tier, uh, which is a Discord, a, a exclusive access to a Discord channel um, and cut content if Thor never gets to it. If we ever get to making any of it at all, I think he's planning on it. And again, like I mentioned earlier, since summer is happening soon, he may have more time to go ahead and go through that and edit it, um, as well as the, the shout-out and everything. Um, obviously, you don't have to pledge to the Patreon to continue to supporting supporting the show. Just keep listening, keep sharing it, keep, keep, keep. Yeah, just keep. <laughs> that works. Um, for sponsorships, promotion messages, and personal messages, please email uh, sepodcastofficial at gmail.com. Uh, and as usual, thank you to Kevin Mackler per, for providing our music under the title Twisting. Um, now that that's done, uh, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get us back into, um, the, uh, the episode. I have one more, um, I have one more, uh, GOI that I've earned. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more GOI that I found. Um, so on the hub, um, it, uh, came up as, uh, Deer and the Overseers, uh, and when I clicked on it, it looks like, it, I I want to say kind of like a um, a newspaper article, um, but there are a lot of like subtitles um within it, uh, but then I looked at that and then it also uh, mentioned that something was kind of came before it, so I clicked on the uh the back and it brought me to the Deer College Student Body Handbook. Um, which isn't a skip, it isn't a tale, it looks like a, a, a GOI in and of itself, so I'm not sure necessarily what happened with the linking there, um, but, uh, I figured I would read that first, because it, it could possibly provide some information about deer and the overseers. Let me take another drink of water real quick, and we can start that. <coughs> I'll tell you what, it's kind of hard talking just by yourself reading a bunch of things for now it's for me it's been uh 35 minutes um i'm probably gonna continue to go for at least another 10 to 20 minutes um it's better when it's soren and i you know because we're talking back and forth and if we need to take a drink of water we can while they're doing it then it's easier but we don't and so now, now my now my my throat just hurts but you know um yeah, so for the introduction, on, again, on this Dear College Student Body Handbook, Dear College, 
Esse homo platonis. Uh, that's something in Latin. I'm not sure what that means. And then there are like two uh, deers, but also like, it's like Pegasus, but if he wasn't a horse, if he was a deer. Um, <coughs> yeah, so on the front, it says, Welcome to Deer. Deer is a magical place. Of course, you already knew that. It's probably what drew you here. But most of the admission stuff is bullshit. It's for your parents more than you to assure them that they're spending all that cash wisely. We ask permanent students to offer their thoughts on what incoming fresh things really need to know and pick the only two that met our high editorial standards. And also one of them blackmailed us and the other bought us a beer. Here they are. Uh, so the first one is uh, same as it ever was. Uh, it says, welcoming incoming freshmen to the first worst four years, well, 4.5 on average, but who's counting, of your life. In your time at Deer, you will experience terrors the likes of which you have never before seen. Five-hour thaumaturgic classes, consecutive all-night cram sessions, bottomless mugs of cafeteria coffee, the all-seeing eyes of the community safety officers, and lurking at the end of of and lurking at the end of it, the dreaded senior thesis. Your physical, mental, and spiritual health will deteriorate. You will churn out paper after paper, each on a subject more arcane than the last. Your parents will ask you what you're studying, and you will find yourself unable to answer. You will emerge from this experience a bitter, broken soul who hangs around on campus long after graduation, hitting on people years younger than you in an attempt to relieve the glory days before you were ground up in the gears of the terrible machine we call academia. Eventually, you will move on, leaving behind only footprints and terrible curses that will haunt campus for decades to come. It's not all bad. In every dark cloud, there is a silver lining. You will meet exciting, interesting, and intelligent people, and form bonds with them that will, at least, at, will last at least one lifetime, if not more. Your expertise in the mystical arts will be honed to a razor's edge, as will your ability to get that one libertarian in your philosophy class to shut the fuck up and let someone else speak. You will learn things man was not meant to know, perform deeds contrary to the laws of nature and of nature's god, and see the fabric of reality for the illusion that it really is, maybe even w while you're sober. And, when you're done, when you've slain the thesis snake, completed your group requirements, and walked across that stage of graduation, you will receive your final reward. A fancy piece of paper with your name on it. It's not actually good for anything in the real world, because the FBI says we can't tell people where we actually went to school. And at the end of the day, remember, it could be worse. You could be going to Ixod, which I'm assuming is like another college. That's from Mordecai Diabolos, student body president for life. And then the second one is this must be the place. Alright, you're just gonna have to trust me. Don't listen to anything Mordecai says. He's literally the Antichrist. I'm not 100% sure that they're going to put his essay in, but he's got some serious blackmail material in the entire student senate, so it's almost a given. Thankfully, I can now bribe him any day of the good of the week, so I'm pretty sure this message will get in there too. So regardless of what he says, Deer is good. Well, the institution itself is fine, but the community and people? Incredible. The professors are among the best in their fields, and most of the classes are small enough that you really get to know the people teaching you. There's always something happening on campus, whether that's a dance in the student union, an impromptu spell duel in the quad, or even just a folk music sing-along in your dorm's common room. Even the thesis isn't really all that bad, when you're in the thick of it. And if you choose a thesis... I can't fucking speak, I'm sorry. <laughs> and if you choose a thesis... Oh my god. If you choose a thesis topic you really love, it'll all be worth it. That's not to say it can't be hard sometimes. The administration, like with any bureaucracy, can, bind, can be mind-numblingly slow to change. The CSOs will probably confiscate your weed once or twice, and there will, unfortunately, be people you don't like. The roommate who sexiles you while you're in the shower, the creepy alum who hits on you at a, at a house party, and that one libertarian in your philosophy class who will not shut the fuck up. I'm pretty sure that guy is actually some sort of ancient curse or vengeful specter, to be honest. These and more will be black marks on your time here. And sometimes, in the dark night of the soul that comes upon you, when you've been awake for 37 hours straight and your hands won't stop shaking long enough for you to type the next paragraph of your thesis, 
you will want to go back in time and warn your past self against coming here. But even when Derek gets you down, remember, it could be worse. You could be going to Ixot, which, again, <coughs> assuming that's another college. And that's from Gwenefar Thistlebranch, branch student body president in exile. Uh, so it seems like this is just sort of like an anomalous college that kind of teaches you about um, different skips and SCPs and um, just stuff that goes on with anomalies. Almost kind of like this. Hey, maybe we should uh, rename this this podcast just Dear College. No? Yeah, yeah, I think that's all right. Um, <laughs> so going to the what I was originally going to look at, um, which is called Dear and the Overseers, um, so like I said, sort of newspaper uh, um, type thing. Uh, I remember seeing on the uh, other thing that there was something about journalism within Deer. Uh, but it's called Deer College Odyssey. The buck stops here. This is on Friday, January 11th, 2019. Uh, three Portlands and your firstborn gamity. Deer and the Overseers, a 50-year history of nuisance by heavy metal death god Jack Mater. And then there's a <laughs> an at for something. Um, and then... It says in italics at the top, it says, A deer institution is something that has occurred twice a deer. A deer tradition is something that has occurred once a deer. A deer story is something that may have occurred at deer. And now for the story of deer in the foundation, footnote, says, For those less knowledgeable with the occult community, a reared NGO dedicated to containing all occult phenomena in the world. This includes the, crossed out occasional, common international war crime and indefinite prison detention within, without judicial process. That's fun. After a series of recent events, which is a um, a link to DJ Cactus's proposal three uh, for uh, 001, <clears throat> uh, the Overseer Council of the Foundation was violently overthrown and replaced by a new version of the Overseer Council, who will doubtlessly fail to be any less fascist tyrants than the last set. In honor of the termination of the old council, I'll be looking at the history of Deer's interactions with them, and by extension, the rest of the Foundation. So, trouble begins the 60s. The first four years were quiet. From 48 to 66, the year lived a peaceful and quiet existence without the undue attention of the Foundation in any form. But, then they noticed us, footnote 2. For some reason, we don't know. Probably just us being our usual dumb heretics. We haven't really changed in the last, in the least after all these years. And developed a sinister plot in mind. They plan to disrupt the very fabric of this institution and proselytize us into being the next generation of fascist scientists and human rights violators. Um, you thought that they were going to try and shut us down, right? Nope, that comes later. To that end, 05-4, the head of their PR department, was invited to campus as a guest speaker, in the same vein as any other cult world figures like Madame Alphine, under, uh, sorry, Undersecretary General of the Global Co- Coalition and only a smidge better than the Overseers, Alison Chow, the black queen who does things. I've never really been clear on what she actually does, which is uh, the black queen was another GOI that we haven't got to yet, but it is one of them. And, or Tim Wilson, founder of Wilson's Wild, Wildlife Solutions and the Love of My Life. And then there's a little heart thing. That's cute. <laughs> Says, this would have been a pretty normal event, but 05 giving a generic speak, answering uh, questions, and handing out pamphlets afterward, if not for the fact that 054 has, has been personally involved in a plethora of international war crimes. When Deers looked into 05-4 and the Foundation track record, it didn't take them long before they realized the kind of person we were dealing with here. Immediately, student groups started to process the idea of him coming to campus and giving a speech about something. None of the old student papers actually said what he was coming here to speak about, just that it was bad. There was a sit-in in Nor about the issue and a couple of big protests. Seeing how many people were mad at this, 
the administration was quick to, re to resign uh, for his invitation to campus, saying that the general opinion of the student body was that he was unwelcome. The foundation accepted graciously, and 05-4 gave a speech at Ixot. He was quick to jump on the opportunity when they heard Deere skipped out. Then we bring down the law of the 70s. Tensions between the 05 Council and Deere reached a peak in 1978 when a judicial board case was brought against all overseers in uh, absentia by Deere's. Deary's alleged that all members of the Overseer Council were responsible for continued violence against the nature of reality, repeated genocide and xenocide, the uh, excuse me, abuse of basic and fundamental human rights, unlawful imprisonment, tyranny, violation of international law regarding the usage of amnestics, and oppressing the occult community repeatedly for decades. Surprisingly, the case succeeded. <coughs> excuse me. Whether the Judicial Board decided to accept the case made against the Overseers is unknown. Uh, sorry for hitting that. The um, footnote 8 says, Most likely they were having a slow week and didn't have any other cases going on at the time. But the case was accepted and the overseers found guilty. Their actions were, of course, the subject of repeated sanctions and condemned by the Global Occult Coalition of the United Nations and generally considered to be international war crimes. The council was ordered to formally apologize for their actions, were to be excluded from campus, and were banned from using the scrounge. Uh, which says, After all, do any of the overseers have board plans? Unfortunately, the sting of justice of the Deere College Judicial Board carries not exceptional, and the overseers did not seem to be greatly adverse, to be greatly adversely affected or even a little upset of the verdict, which was really a letdown given we spent so much time to con to convict them and try them and everything. However, Deere did receive a letter from the Foundation Department of Public Relations, likely written by a low-level functionary but signed as 05-4, reproduced below. It says to Deere College. Foundations did not recognize the legal and moral authority represented by the Deer College Judicial Board, and therefore holds a verdict made by said organization to not be binding or valid in any capacity. Moreover, Foundation finds that the circumstances of the trial, being held in, a, in absentia without legal representation for the defendants, means that any verdict delivered cannot be held to impartial and unbiased, further nullifying all conclusions made. As such, the Foundation has made the decision to summarily, to sum, uh, summarily reject the all-said deliberations and conclusions, and should not be making reparations as dictated by the aforementioned authority. Should the plaintiffs wish to pursue further judicial action against us, please contact the Foundation's legal office submitting the attached 10 forms, completed in a triplicate of the proper offices. Postage will not be paid for or reimbursed. Thank you for your compliance, 05-4, Office of Public Relations. Honestly, the fact that they replied to us at all was more than we were expecting. But the Overseer Council's dismissal of all charges that were brought against them, they decided to enact the one punishment that we could, the inclusion of them from campus. Photos of all 13 Overseers were searched for, determined to not, to not be something we could get a hold of, replaced with stick figures labeled with 05-1 through 13, and hung up in the community safety office. <clears throat> uh, they steal our money, the 80s. The following story only tangentially relates to Deer and the Overseers, but there is a slight connection. Uh, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Towards the end of the year in 1983, the foundation sent a letter to the mayor of three Portlands demanding that the city stop giving the limited amount of funds to the magical college in the realm, except Deer and three Portlands community. Except Deer and three Portlands community college. Normally, we would have been outraged, but this happened in May, and everyone was very, very tired, and finals were coming up, so there wasn't much to do not cry. We were all going home for the year, and couldn't be bothered to deal with it ourselves. It, it could be dealt with at the start of the year, next year. Anyways, these two things take time, right? Well, except did all the heavy, heavy lifting here. They called up the GOC, reminded them that they were a member of the Council of 108, and got their big guard dog to send a strongly worded letter to the Foundation to fuck off. 
The coalition argued back and forth at the foundation for a couple of months during the summer of 83, backing up the mayor and his autonomy. By the time by the time students came back in fall, the situation had resolved itself. The city funding was secure, and the foundation had backed off. We didn't even do anything. The Sting of Justice, the 90s. In 98, another major scandal occurred when a small group of students was discovered to be attempting to perform an NR piece featuring the L5s. To get a full decree, degree of accuracy, they began to investigate and even attempt scrying on the council. Foundation... <coughs> Sorry. The foundation picked up on their interest in the council, but not their overall intent. Early on in the process, and quickly became aware that something major involving the overseers was going down and needed immediate attention. I'm going to finish off my water real quick. Sorry about that. Given the sensitive nature of the matter, not just any normal foundation employees would be found to, would be able to infiltrate the campus. In fact, O five eleven themselves was deployed to take the form of a dairy, infiltrate the social circles of the students attempting to perform the working, and stop them by any means necessary. Given the occult abilities of the overseer, they would be able to disguise themselves perfectly and stop the believable assassination with ease. This would have gone perfectly enough for the fact that the exclusion of the overseers from the 1978 J-Board case was never lifted, and Eleven was still forbidden from setting foot on our grounds. As such, when they attempted to walk to Deer one morning, magical alarms instantly kicked into effect and it became clear that an overseer was present. Community safety arrived soon after to take the overseer into custody, as they attempted to figure out who this mysterious, previously unknown figure was. After all, they matched another pictures on the wall of excluded individuals. It was several hours later that Eleven confessed to the true identity. Community safety realized that they had detained an individual of considerable more importance than anticipated. Eleven was released back to the foundation shortly thereafter, as ordered by the president, uh, Sven's daughter, but much to the chagrin, chagrin of all students. Students had been planning to the artwork to finish the piece, which lasted for a few years before being destroyed in a particularly brutal rabbit fight in the arts building. However, in the terms of Eleven's re release, they were asked to write the apology demanding of them years prior. Prior, That apology is reproduced below. I, O511, would formally like to apologize to for repeated acts of violence and oppression against the anomalous community and races in a variety of forms for the purposes of world preservation and safeguarding civilian life. I extend this apology from and on behalf of the Office of the Overseer, acting in a representative authority for all such parties. Something tells me they didn't really mean it. Yawn, the 1000s. Surprisingly, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened between Deer College and the Overseers between 2000 and 2010. The left is alone, and we didn't do anything so radical as to get major attention. I scoured every possible resource here and found literally nothing, even a single passing mention of the Foundation in any of our three papers. An old grudge, the Thames. The final major incident involving the involving the O5 Council in Deer came in 2011 when it came to the light that on the nature of anomalous things, an 1890 treatise on the occult was written by uh, O5-1. And uh, there is the... Uh, there's a footnote that says, more specifically, it was discovered that the author, Aaron Siegel, was 05-1. On the nature of anomalous things had been a prominent text in HUM 11, History of the Occult, and generally regarded as an awful shitty text that nobody really liked reading. Having the only mandatory class feature, a horrific abuser of human and non-human rights caused an immediate uproar. Multiple student groups, such as the Faye Student Union, called for the removal of the treatise from the syllabus on the grounds that the author's ideology was actively genocidal, and they should know. Contrarian assholes, uh, footnote 11, said, you know, that guy from conference, went full death on the author, saying that the treatise didn't actually call for anything of the sort, ignoring that it was merely a direct predecessor of such ideas. 
A series of student protests and sit-ins in the office of President Lund was, were successful in getting the syllabus revised, and On the Nature of Anomalous Things was removed from the syllabus and replaced with the philosophy of a fellow scholar, written by a nameless victim of the Fade Genocide. Nameless victim is a link um, to, it's says scp-wiki-wiki.net uh, forward slash taboo. Um, it's just, it says redacted mainly, um, so I'm not really sure specifically what it is. It, it is skip, though. Um, th yeah, uh, written by a nameless victim of the Fae genocide, discussing in depth their thoughts on the occult, the foundation, and the current state of the Fae people. The author even came to speak on the college, at the college on the text and gave a guest lecture in Home 11, 111. And then finally, uh, the way it ends now. But this brings us to the most important news of all. Overseer Ball will be thrown tonight, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the SU. It will celebrate the death of the O5 Council, an excuse to get wasted, footnote 12, as if you needed one. We've been planning this since the first Overseer died, and we'll, it will get thrown into action immediately for tonight. Music will be whatever, and there's no real theme. See you there. So, yeah. Uh, so, Dear College... Well, it's self-explanatory. Dear is a, it's a college, um, and that's sort of the... Uh, a brief, a brief history, as Foot of a Ferret would say, of um, their uh, their interactions with the Foundation. Um, again, they seem to be a, a sort of college that interacts specifically with kids um, for information about uh, just anomalous capabilities and everything. Although apparently it doesn't do much in the in the real world since they can't tell anyone. But you know. Um, be uh before I go, I am gonna go back to that joke SCP that I mentioned earlier, SCP-266 uh 2600 uh J. This again is going back to the Chicago Spirit, which is the crime syndicate that we mentioned earlier. Um yeah, so uh, item number is 2600-J, object class is safe. Uh SCP proceed yeah, special containment procedures. Um two uh 2600J is to be held within a standard containment chamber located within site seventy seven. Personal assigned to work with uh, 2600 are to be given standard identity protection methods such as fake beards and wigs. Standard foundation bike locks are issued to all bicycles located within Site 77 to prevent abductions. On the right, <laughs> it's a it's an old it's a it's a guy with really long brown hair and mutton chops as well as a beard on a BMX bike with aviator shades and says 2600 J attempting to abduct Agent Schwinn. Description. Uh, 2600J is a bicycle manufactured by the Schwinn or Corporation in 1996. It is fully mobile and will attempt to run down and abduct any personnel assigned to its containment, usually followed by an escape attempt. Other than this, 2600J displays no anomalous properties. So, it actually is the bike, not the dude. Occasionally, media appeared to, uh, appearing to demand 2600J's immediate release will, will be d delivered to Site-77. These will usually be accompanied by portions of bicycles, which have been removed very roughly, such as portions of the frame and torn up chains. Media will usually consist of pieces of paper covered in menacing tire tracks, ransom notes composed of newspaper clippings signed by the Bicycle Mafia, uh, which is a link to um, the uh, Chicago, Chicago Spirit. Uh, or videos depicting several fedora-clad bicycles spinning their wheels aggressively. Personnel are advised not to let SCP-2600-J's cohorts intimidate them. Addendum, transcript of a video delivered to Site-77 on 8-8-2008. Begin, transcript begin transcript. 
uh, at 01, video begins and appears to be taking place in an abandoned bike shop slash Italian restaurant. Interesting combination. Two bicycles are pleasant, uh, one red and one orange, each wearing a feather of fedora. On the table in between them is a small red tricycle. At one minute, the red bicycle begins to spin its wheels rapidly, bounding up and down in an aggressive manner. Uh, at 2.22, the orange bicycle begins imitating the red bicycle. This continues in intervals for three minutes. Uh, at 5.23, a hacksaw is produced. 5.24, data expunged. The remains of the tricycle depicted in the video were delivered to Site-77 over the next six months, one piece at a time. Addendum 2600-JA. The Site-77 bicycle rack was compromised with over, 22, with over 20 bicycles being stolen. Only a single broken lock was found at the scene. And then uh, they got my red rocket, those bastards, from junior researcher Hutchins. And addendum 2600-JAA. Research and deposit connections with the Serpent's Handle, Shwickham Calls, Motors and Cars are Dumb Limited, or Ford Pinto uh, Kennel Association. Uh, sorry, Ford Pinto Dog Kennel Association is ongoing. Obviously, um, Serpent's Handle, Serpent's uh, Hub, uh, Schwinn Cults is, I think, that was, I think that was the Sarkic Cult, yeah. Uh, and then Motors and Cars are Dumb Limited is Marshall Carter and Dark. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was a good, uh, that was a joke, um, but it did kind of have to do with the the bicycle mafia or uh, <laughs> the um, Chicago spirit. So yeah, uh, so those were a couple um, a couple groups of interest that I pulled together in fifteen minutes. Again, um, I think we're gonna be doing uh, like maybe one more episode of the groups of interest hub. We'll, we'll probably go over a couple more, um, maybe do like a little bit more rapid, rapid fire. Um, so less, uh, external documents and more just like brief information, just real quick about the stuff. Um, so similar to what I did to today, but actually with Soren. So hopefully we can cover some more. Um, yeah. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we should be getting episodes, um, more up, more consistent and everything. I continue to apologize for our continued apologies. Um, but we are going to get a shit together and hopefully start doing that some more. Um, outside of that, uh, this has been the Secure Contain podcast. We talked about the Chicago Spirit, the uh, Nobody Hub, and the Deer College. Um, I have been your host, Dave. Uh, and hopefully, we sh- both of us should see you back again next week. Uh, That is all for now. Bye.